Sunset can be a very beautiful time. We've all enjoyed the, the brilliant sunsets that we see here, even in this part of the vineyard as the sun would set behind the mountains. But what about the sunset of life itself? Will it be as beautiful for all of us that are gathered in? Reviewing the life of Jacob, we, we marvel at God's dealings with him. And one who was up to fall in one who had many failures. We think, did he, did he finish well? If you hadn't have read these chapters tonight, would you have known that he finished well? Was there a glorious sunset at the end of his pilgrimage? As we read these verses this evening, we can say with absolute assurance, yes, he finished well. He endured to the end. And the sunset was glorious. His latter days were, were marked beautifully, I think, by the triumphs of amazing grace. Because Proverbs 4.18 tells us that it shineth more and more in the life of the Christian unto the perfect day. I firmly believe the light doesn't get dimmer. The closer we come to the crossing, the light gets brighter. And the light shines greater. And there's more of Christ seen in our lives than there has been in any other part of the journey. So the sunset, brethren and sisters, let's not fear it, because the sunset can be glorious and beautiful for all who know and love the Lord Jesus as their own and personal Saviour. Every journey has its beginning, and every journey has its conclusion. And the scripture teaches us that even princes like Israel have to die. And you and I, we must die. We must face the king of terrors. We must face him and our life also will have to face its own sunset. The book of Genesis is full of uh, the records of those who had to die. And there's victory. There's victory in the lives of the patriarchs of those who died in the faith. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of their faith. When... Jacob stood at the graveside of those who went before him, his beloved wife, his father, and his brethren. God was teaching Jacob something very poignant. He was teaching him, Jacob, you too must needs die. And every funeral, brethren and sisters, that you and I attend, every loved one that's taken from our families, and every loved one that's taken from our church families, it's saying to us, you too must needs die. Barring the second advent of the Lord Jesus Christ, we all one day will reach the end of the journey. How, how will you meet the king of terrors on that great day when God calls you from time out into his great eternity? The sunset of Jacob's life had a beauty about it. I, I think it calls for special attention. I was reading over these chapters again. and I, I was struck by... Things that I took out of this treasure chest of God's word that were new. I was encouraged by the old truths that were still there. And I just want to share some of them again with you this evening. The first feature of the sunset of Jacob's life was that there was a faithful Lord with him right to the end. If you look at chapter 48, chapter 48 verse 2 and 3. We, we read that Jacob said to his son Joseph. And, and one told Jacob and said, Behold, thy son cometh unto thee. And Israel strengthened himself and sat up upon the bed. 
His, his physical frame was very weak, but he, somehow or another he summoned up the energy and he sat up on the bed and he wanted to give a testimony before he died. And it's wonderful to hear the testimony of dying saints. And it's wonderful to hear their testimony to saving grace and to what the Lord has done in their life. And so Jacob wanted to recount what the Lord had done for him and through him and with him. And he comes to verse 3. He said unto Joseph, God Almighty appeared unto me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. This is wonderful. If you go back to chapter 28, you'll find out what he actually was talking about. Genesis chapter 28. That's why we were singing the opening paraphrase. Genesis 28, 18. Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of the city was called Luz at the, the first. Now we know Bethel is that compound word, the, the house of God. And Jacob vowed a vow there and then. And he said, If God be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give my, me bread to eat and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. He made vows at Bethel. And Jacob was taken back to Bethel at the end of his pilgrimage. And there at Bethel he renewed his vows once again where he had fled as a youth. Remember it was at Bethel that God gave to him that amazing vision of the ladder whose top reached from heaven down to the earth. And the one of course who bridged that great divide, brethren and sisters, between heaven and earth, between man and God, was the Lord Jesus Christ. The great mediator between God and man. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And somehow or another at Bethel, Jacob saw a, a vision, a wonderful vision in this metaphorical fashion. He saw a vision of that ladder and that ladder spoke of Christ. And there at Bethel, God came to Jacob and God met with him. And I'm glad that God still comes to sinners because if God didn't come to sinners, sinners would never come to him. God came to Jacob at Bethel and he met with him. And he was changed there and then at that point on his pilgrimage. And he was able to look back now as a dying man. Years later, he's a dying man. He's gathering his family. And he wants to make a testimony. And he wants to say, I met God at Bethel. If we were to gather around your deathbed tonight, what sort of testimony would you give? What would you be able to recount? I met God at a mission in such and such a place, in such and such a year, at such and such a time, in such a difficulty or in such a period in my life. What would your testimony be, dear man or woman? What sort of testimony would you give in the final moments before the sun sets completely at the end of your pilgrimage? This is all really that counts. I want to say solemnly tonight, there's no dying grace unless you have saving grace. And I want to ask you tonight, do you have saving grace in your heart and life? I want you to be sure of that. 
There's no light in the valley. For you. Have you ever met Jesus? I've been at the deathbed of those who died in that darkness. And what a dreadful place. And if I was called to your bed, I don't want to be in that same situation. Don't wait, don't wait to those final moments before you close in with Christ. Close in with him tonight. Close in with him now. Make that to be your testimony when you come to the sunset of life and the end of life's journey. There's a faithful Lord with him. Secondly, he could look behind him and he could say, there's a fruitful life behind him. He'd left a legacy. There was something more than just that he'd managed somehow or another to make it to the end of the journey. No, there was, there was fruit in his life. Look at Genesis 48 and verse 4. God had promised him at Bethel, I'll make thee fruitful and multiply thee, and I'll make of thee a multitude of people, and will give this land to thy seed after thee for an everlasting possession. At Bethel, God promised he would, he would make something out of Jacob. And if God hadn't made something out of Jacob, nobody else could have made something out of him. But God made something out of Jacob. And in mercy, he enabled Jacob to bear much fruit. Genesis 47 and verse 27. He was brought from obscurity. He, he was brought from a place where sin had twisted him and, and made him into something that he ought not to have been. And he was brought from that place and he was made to be the father of the nation itself. And of the tribes of Israel that were going to come from the loins of Jacob. Isn't that wonderful? That's what God and grace can do. God can take your life and my life. A life that was worthless and pointless. And he can make it fruitful. He can make it fruitful. And at the end of the journey we can look back and say there has been a fruitful life. There's been a legacy. A testimony that has been left behind. Jacob had failed the Lord many times. We needn't go into those things. I often lament, I have to say, sometimes when I hear people testify that they, they glorify in all their sin and all of their failures, as it were, inadvertently, I think, of course. But we're here to look back and we're here to rejoice in how faithful God was to somebody who wasn't faithful to him. And would not be all of our testimonies when we reach the end of life's journey. I, I do believe there will be those, when they get to glory, we can say about them as one of all, they were saved, yes, but they were saved just by the skin of their teeth. There wasn't anything else to show for it. They'll go to heaven, but they'll go to heaven empty-handed. Brethren and sisters, none of us want to go empty-handed before the king. We do want to go empty-handed. We want to have our crowns that we might cast them at his feet. 
Revelation 14, 13 says, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. From henceforth, yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works to follow them. We know that their work's not just fallen because the seeds that they sown are still growing, but their works are already ahead of them. The blessings are already there. I know good works will not bring any of us to heaven, but each one will be rewarded when they get to heaven because of their works. Now tell me, what, what sort of fruit will we have when we get there? Jacob, for all of his faults, his blemishes, his failings, he'd a fruitful life. Jonathan Goldford was a great Presbyterian missionary in Asia to China. He was one of the great pioneers of missionary work. And he said this, all eternity to enjoy our victories. And only a few moments before sunset to win them. Just a few moments. The third feature that dominated Jacob's death, that he left a family legacy behind him. Look at chapter 48 again, verse 5 and 6. He called Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, which were born unto thee in the land of Egypt, before I came unto thee into Egypt. They're mine, as Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. What was happening here? Well, I so bless my heart. Remember the, the sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh. They were half African. They, they were not of the stock and lineage of the other uh, sons of Jacob. These were, these were half Africans. And Jacob adopted them into his family. Formally, officially. He said, Ephraim and Manasseh, they're mine. They're mine. And that is such an encouraging thought to every parent here in the gathering tonight that God would put his hand upon his children, upon our children, and bring them into his family. We know they're not. We know they are not part of God's family until God does the work and it brings them into his family. But on that great day, brethren and sisters, when we stand before Almighty God, may we say, that the children that God gave us have been adopted into God's family. They're all his. There's no greater legacy. You can leave your children farms. You can leave your children wealth. You can leave your children property. But the greatest, the greatest legacy you leave your children when you die is that you know they're part of God's family. They're part of his family. What sort of legacy, dear brother or sister, are we leaving behind for our loved ones? What a challenge this all is to our hearts and lives as parents again tonight. And no greater legacy could any father bestow upon his children than to know that they've been brought by grace into God's family. Into God's family. I've learnt many years ago, there are many parents and they, they try for conformity in the lives of their children. They must conform to their model, their, their ideal. But brethren and sisters, let's strive for conversion. 
heart conversion to Christ and all of her children. I want you to notice, fourthly, when Jacob died, there was future light before him. It wasn't all darkness. Go to chapter 49 and verse 10. We looked at these words last year. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Jacob was able to look down the corridor of time. And here he had a wonderful vision, a prophetical vision of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. What light was ahead of him? Who was ahead of Jacob? It was Christ. He saw Christ ahead of him. And he was assured that ahead of him the Lord would come. And it was the presence of Christ that brightened up the pathway that lay ahead. This, this word Shiloh is derived from the Hebrew word Shalom, which means peace, this wonderful greeting that the Hebrew people have, Shalom. Uh, and uh, Jacob died in peace. He died in peace and with this future prospect of the light of Christ's coming in his vision. And this is, this is the secret to dying in victory. The secret to dying in victory is to have Christ in front of you, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, Looking unto him, not looking to those that are beside us, though comforting it will be. We want to, if the Lord gives us that deathbed scene, we want to be with our family. Who else would we want to be with? But I want Christ ahead of me. That's the light that's in the valley. We sang of that just a moment or two ago. There's a light in the valley of death now for me since Jesus came into my heart. And the gates of the city beyond I can see since Jesus came into my heart. Sometimes heaven opens to souls before they're in heaven. I visited the Reverend Wesley Graham just a short time before he died. And I was so enthralled and taken up with a Wesley. It was as if God had already taken him in spirit. He was in Beulah land. He was in that place of holy contemplation. He could see things that he'd never saw before and he had experiences that he never had before. He was nearly there. What of, what of you? What of you tonight? Where's the light? It's not enough to sit in those gospel pews, brethren and sisters. The light of Christ has to be before you. There's a final feature here we'll just make quick mention of. When Jacob died, he was assured of the fellowship that awaited him. Look at verse 33 of chapter 49. When Jacob made an end of commanding his sons. Now, he had organized his funeral. There's a challenge there for all of us, isn't it? We're nearly afraid to talk about our funerals in case we, we, we hasten it on. I assure you, you talking about it or planning it will not bring it forward one second more than what God intended it to be. He's, burying his plot, he's buying his plot here. There are people who wouldn't buy a great plot because they might think if they bought it, it'd be certain they'll be in it. Let me tell you, you'll be in it whether you buy it or not. Barring the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be in it. Whether you buy it or whether you don't buy it. 
Now Jacob was all that business settled and it's all done and dusted. And we read that he yielded up the ghost and was gathered unto his people. He was gathered unto his people. Now the New Testament commentary on that is very significant. And the Holy Spirit opens up that to us in the book of Hebrews. Just go over there a little moment please. Hebrews chapter 11, that great chapter of faith. Hebrews 11 verse 13 to 16. It said these all died in faith. The patriarchs, those that those early fathers, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly if they'd been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had of opportunity to return. But now they desire a better country. That is, an heavenly Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. Jacob was going home. He was going to the land of promise. Not that which was bounded by the Mediterranean Sea. Not that which was uh, with national boundaries. He, he was going to his eternal home. Look at verse 21. Hebrews 11 verse 21. It tells us Jacob when he was a dying blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped. That's amazing words. He worshipped. Dying. Leaning. Upon the top of his staff. He worshipped. He, he went into the very presence of God worshipping. He, he closed his eyes in that final worship service on earth. That final moments of earth. And he opened his eyes in the glory of Emmanuel's land. In the eternal worship of the eternal God. And what a fellowship. What a joy divine awaited him. And what a reunion awaited him. Look what it says in those verses. Again in the book of, of Genesis chapter 49. He was gathered unto his own people. There he met with his father. His grandfather. The patriarchs. The families. Who had gone before. All who had died in the Lord. Well, we know for all of us this evening. That at death for those that are in Christ. Is just a step. Until we're reunited with those who have gone on before. Parents who have grieved over their, their children. They'll be reunited with them. Children who have grieved over their aged parents. They're going to be reunited with them. Husbands and wives reunited. Not in the same estate as they were here at this scene. But reunited in that eternal state. And they buried him. They buried Jacob. With his ancestors as requested. There's lessons there isn't there. You know dear uh, brothers and sisters it's, it's good for us to have all of our, our things in order all of our affairs in order before we come to die and the Egyptians afforded him a state funeral it was a grand occasion and they mourned for him and they lamented him but all of that it was all just mere externals because Jacob's soul was already at home over there with the Lord When they come to lower your coffin and mine into 
Mother Earth. There will be those that will mourn their passing. But for those who die in the Lord, we've already passed beyond this scene of time. All we've left behind is just the mortal frame. And on that great resurrection morning when the trumpet sounds, that dust is going to be raised again. And it's going to be reunited with the soul for all of God's eternity. And we're going to sing the praises of God for all eternity and serve him forevermore. A death, what gathering? What gatherings there, there are going to be? What gathering will it be for you? I want to challenge you as we close out the service tonight. If this was your final night on earth, where would you be gathered to? Who would you be gathered to? And if you're not in the Lord, your gatherings would be with those that you would never have mixed with or mingled with the side of God's eternity. Else you wouldn't be in a meeting such as this tonight. It'll be with the lost and the damned for all of eternity. Oh, think of the home over there. What a home it is. A home for the people of God. I have taken great, renewed, fresh courage from Jacob as I've read about him and the sunset of his life in the book of Genesis. Uh, the older you get, the more you realize the closer you are to that sunset. But how glorious it will be when we see the king and are gathered home around the throne to those that have gone on before. May the Lord give us all courage in facing the sunset.